One focus, one subject. Welcome to The Real Story, the podcast that brings together global experts to explain one issue shaping the news. BBC World Service podcasts are supported by advertising. You've just downloaded a podcast of News Hour Extra from the BBC with Owen Bennett-Jones. And we're broadcasting this week from Athens. And it wasn't so long ago that Greece was on the TV screens around the world virtually every day. It's somewhat gone off the international agenda, and yet the financial crisis here remains very real. It began in 2007-8 when the global financial crisis hit Greece hard. The country was unable to meet its obligations to pay interest on foreign debts. Ancient Greece may have given the world democracy, but modern Greece saw democracy denied. A 2015 referendum mandated the government of Alexis Tsipras to face down Greece's creditors. He tried, but the international financial institutions wouldn't budge, and he was forced to capitulate and impose deep spending cuts. Today, if you take interest payments out of it, Greece has achieved a budget surplus. It also has 45% youth unemployment. And it's all left many Greeks, as I've been discovering, wondering, what next? There have been lots of pictures over the last few years of protests in the centre of this city, but within half an hour of arriving, I'm right in the middle of one, so it still seems to be going on. It's a pretty middle-aged audience, I'd say, and I'm told that this is a non-party protest. It's pretty centrist, pretty pro-European, very anti-government, but from what I can gather, it's not really clear what these people are demanding. They know what they're against, which is the government. Well, let's see if we can find out what they're for. Hello, how are you? Fine, thank you. And you've just come to this protest. This is maybe your wife with you? My wife, yes. And why have you both come? Uh, we came to, to protest against the government because we don't believe that they're taking the country to the correct direction. But I've got a difficult question now. Oh, maybe. You're against the government. Yeah. What are you for? We want the economic policy to change, first of all. We are paying huge taxes, there's no financing from banks that cannot help us, uh, so something has to change. Well, I think that um, something has to happen to uplift Greece. And where is that uplift going to come from, in your view? Well, I'm not really sure. I think that there's, at the moment there's not, no system. And I think um, everybody's got to just come together and, and pull, it, pull Greece out of out of where it is now. Actually, this protest comes from Facebook. It's just the Facebook uh, movement. I myself don't protest uh, very often. This is my second time protesting about political uh, things uh, ever. Let me put this to you. The European Union has caused great difficulty in Greece. It's not given you the debt relief you need. It's insisted on austerity. Why would you support the European Union? So my philosophy is that my salvation comes from within, not from without. I don't expect neither Germany nor Europe to save me, not to give me any money for free. I just want to work like every other country works and build this country in a way that it works. Now it doesn't work. I've just come off the square now into a cafe which looks over the square because I was told there's a group of leftists here who have come to, as one of them put it to me as she was walking towards this place, they've come to laugh at the protesters because there are too few of them and they don't know what they want and they're not organised properly and so on. So anyway, we thought we'd just drop by this cafe and see what they make of the protest, which I have to say seems to be getting smaller rather than bigger as the evening wears on. Actually, this gear doesn't even make sense in a way. 
what they're demanding is actually the, the government's agenda right now. I don't, I don't get why it should quit or something. These are the very same people that used to say that protests are very bad. They are bad for tourism and a handful of individuals cannot close a road just to, to south. From now on, I think anyone who organizes a protest is not going to get a much bigger crowd than that. Right, because people don't want them anymore. I think people feel it's pointless. They've given up on that. That gives a snapshot of what some Greeks are saying on the streets, but let's get the views of our panel today. We have Kostas Duzinas, a Syriza Member of Parliament, the Chair of the Defence and Foreign Relations Committee for 40 years an academic in London, uh, but now an MP in Greece. He's written a new book just coming out, Syriza in Power, Reflections on an Accidental Politician. So he's claiming he never wanted to do it in the first place. Uh, Helena Smith, a journalist who's covered Greece for how many years? Oh, for quite a few. <laughs> quite a few, very politely put, uh, for the Guardian newspaper. We've got Platon Monacrusos, who's Group Chief Economist of Eurobank here in Athens, and Despina Kutsumba, a leading member of the Public Sector Workers Union and a well-known, a prominent left-wing activist in, in Athens. Everyone knows you, we've discovered already. So, uh, let me just ask you all, first of all, Greece has this massive uh, foreign debt. You've got unemployment at 25%, youth unemployment, 45%. Are things getting worse? Are things getting better? How would you characterise it? Let's start with the, the MP giving the Syriza point of view. It is getting better, or we hope it will get better. We had this uh, agreement last week, as you mentioned. We have, in a sense, an open path until the end of the programme, uh, the August of 2018, and the big challenge for the government from now on until 2018 or 2019 when the next elections are due, uh, an open path to the social justice program that you know we have promised over the years. Uh, I should also, however, add, apropos of your introduction, that since Syriza got into power, the economic uh, criteria and the economic measurements have improved. Uh, actually, unemployment is not 25%. It was 25% when we took over in 2015. At that point, 25% a quarter of the GDP had been lost, while now we are not in deficit. The unemployment was 25%, now it's 22%, and the per capita income of uh, Greek people had fallen by up to 40%. It was an unprecedented situation in any uh, country at peacetime. And we're fighting hard. We think that we can do it, but of course it remains to be seen. Helena Smith, you've got this outsider's perspective. How do you see the state of Greece today? Well, it's a, a very sorry state, and Costas's opening remarks that we hope it is getting better. Hope is the operative word here. On the street, there's widespread disillusionment and disappointment, not least amongst that sector of the population who did vote for left-wing Syriza and did back uh, Alexis Tsipras in government. Uh, huge pessimism. Greeks now top all Eurostat polls in terms of pessimism. So the short-term prospects are not really that good, although, as Costas has said quite rightly, there is now a clear path ahead until the end of what has been Greece's third international bailout by the EU and the IMF, which ends, expires officially in uh, August next year. There is a clear road ahead. Whether things will get better in that time, however is very much open to question. Right, so, so Platon Monokrisos, from the point of view of a, 
you know, chief economist of a bank here in, in Athens. Are you seeing the it's getting better from the politician or the it's pretty awful from the journalist? Okay, let me first start by saying that the uh, domestic recession, or I would call it the depression over the last several years, has uh, had quite significant costs in terms of lost GDP and, of course, in terms of jobs. The economy is currently in, a, let's say, bottoming out phase, a stabilization, though at quite depressed levels. In my opinion, uh, the worst is behind in terms of uh, GDP losses. The economy is uh, likely to record a positive growth rate uh, this year. But the big question is whether the critical mass of reforms is accumulated so as to facilitate uh, a shift towards a new growth paradigm. Uh, And Greece needs a very big number of years of strong growth in order to be able to recover the losses, output and and employment losses occurred over the last several years. Just to get back to where you were, you need a lot of growth. Okay, well, we'll talk about a lot of that in more detail. But let's just hear also from Despina Kutsumba. From your perspective, uh, are you seeing these marginal improvements and thinking maybe there's a way out of this, or do you not see that? You know the answer already, no. (laughs) I don't care about numbers. If you see the people around you, we have more poorness. We have cuts in salaries and pensions. We have taxes that increase all the time. We have a major problem today. People that have no electricity, people that have no even water, even they cannot afford the water. So what do I care about the numbers and the percentages? All right. Well, we'll talk about all of these themes and issues as we go through the hour. What I thought would be useful just at the beginning is to get just a reminder of how Greece got to this point. And perhaps you can help us with that, uh, Platon, from your sort of banker's uh, knowledge and perspective. So uh, could you just talk us through it? 2001, Greece joins the Eurozone. Right. And then there's a period of really quite rapid, substantial growth. In 2001, Greece introduced the Euro. Then a a, a seven- to eight-year period, long period, followed with pretty strong growth. So what sort of growth rates were you getting in those times? Close to 3%. But what is important to note is that these growth rates were basically driven by uh, consumption, not investments into productive uh, sectors of the economy. Of of course, we've seen a housing boom, of course facilitated by easier credit, much easier credit relative to the pre-crisis period. And this culminated in very severe macroeconomic imbalances in the period leading to the global economic crisis. Right. So when 07-08 hit, Greece was not in a great position to withstand it. And here by 2009, you were in deep trouble. Exactly. And then we've seen a sudden stop. The outbreak of the global crisis found Greece running a huge external imbalance and a huge fiscal imbalance. And Helena, why don't you just talk us through that period? So we've got the financial crisis. Greece, is, as we've heard, you know, wasn't ready for it and couldn't cope with it. And so what was it like here then? Well, it was quite extraordinary. It was almost like a bolt out of the blue for the average Greek who may have had three or four credit cards, who had found 
him or herself pursued by banks to borrow and was indulging his or her desire to consume, as Platon says, with incredible alacrity and enthusiasm. Abandon. (laughs) Abandon. And um, we did at some point at the beginning of the crisis, uh, it was well reported that uh, Greeks in terms of population had, uh, there were more owners of Porsche Cayennes, there were more luxury cars, there were more owners of villas with swimming pools. The average Greek was incredibly overstretched. So when this crisis hit, it seemed quite abstract because in real terms, the country seemed to be on the ground flourishing. Right, but we now know it wasn't abstract at all because it all started falling apart. And let's bring in our MP now, Kostas Duzinas. So you were with Syriza, not sure which stage you got elected, but basically you were, you were seeing this process and here's the left-wing party you're part of saying, we will fight Europe on this and we'll, if we've got debts, we'll get them uh, relieved and so on. And it didn't work out. You capitulated. No, no, we, we didn't say any of that. All we said were for the Europe of the people, not for the Europe of uh, capital. But I want to make a couple of uh, slight footnotes to the analysis of Platon. The problem with the Greek economy was, as he said, the fiscal problem. But when Helena mentioned this huge increase in credit and the huge consumerism that followed that, here we hit something that you know people understand in Britain and throughout Europe, that as in the period of globalization, you know, the primary and secondary sectors of the economy moved outside of Europe and we turned into a service economy. In Greece, 80% of GDP is services. We had a pretty, I think, abnormal economic model. Okay, but just to get the history, tell me if you dispute this history, uh, that there was a referendum which Syriza held to defy the bankers, to defy the international creditors, and the referendum said, yes, defy, and the government tried it for a bit and thought, we can't do that, and they capitulated. Sure. Uh, capitulated perhaps is a strong term. They compromised. They compromised. I mean, let's put it like that. But uh, you know, when, uh, they were defeated. Let's put it like that. They were defeated. Indeed, indeed. I'm very happy to accept that they were defeated. The choice that uh, the Greek government and the Prime Minister Tsipras was faced between not a good and a bad solution, but between two bad solutions. And I think at that point, his and uh, the government's assessment was that rather than moving towards Brexit we should try and create the best possible result at the time. Make the best of a bad job. Indeed. Okay, Despina Kotsumba, you disagree that the best of a bad job was made because you, you, you are, and I have to say, it's not, it's not a majority opinion in Greece from what I understand, but you take the view that they should have crashed out of Europe, out of the Eurozone, certainly. Yeah, and now I'm not sure about the majority, you know, because in, uh, even in uh, public opinion um, research, researches, uh, there is something like 45% now of Greek people that say we have to exit the Eurozone. But uh, that percentage was even more in 2015, of course. The people that voted, 62% no to Juncker uh, in the measurements. Referendum, in the, in the referendum. referendum, yes. Sorry. They knew that if they vote no, one of the uh, consequences. consequences would be to get to the Brexit or get out of the European Union. They knew, they knew it. They understood that it would be difficult for us to get out of the European Union, that it would, it would mean a different uh, way of life, a different way of making the economy, the society, etc., etc. But they, were, they had the will to take this 
on their hands. Yes, in 2015. And the government did not. But let me, let me put this to you. It, it is very striking that in 2015 you're saying you could interpret the referendum result as being a majority for getting out of the Eurozone. And yet, in 2017, uh, on your own account, the polls are moving the other way. There is, you could say, surprisingly strong support for Europe, given what Greece is going through. People seem to be prepared to take the pain to stay in Europe. No, I'm not sure for that. But uh, first of all, we have to say something. It's not a Greek crisis. It's a global economical crisis. And I think that everyone in the whole Europe and the world feels it in his uh, wallet, in his life, etc., etc. So it's not something that's a Greek crisis, a Greek drama, etc., etc. And uh, we have to know that in global crises like this, history tells us that uh, major events happen. I don't think that economical unions like European Union will go to the end. Platon. I would like to, to politely express a slightly different, let's say, view on the situation because pro-euro support in Greece has remained strong throughout the crisis. It's currently close to 70%, according to most recent opinion polls. For the European Union as opposed to the Eurozone, is that... Pro-euro. Yes. Pro-euro. Pro-euro, in okay. favor of the, of the single currency area. Mm-hmm. But it has steeply also, declined yeah. in the last in the last. It has, but year. it remains one of the highest above the euro area average, at least, because I've seen recently, a few days earlier, I was, I was looking at the, uh, the European polls. But this is polls. the European Union, not the Eurozone. The the Euro Euro Euro. Is a, yes. No, there's a much, a much smaller pro-euro. Uh, I'm going to call a truce on yeah, the poll yeah. numbers. But nonetheless, I mean, even if you see the current distribution of seats in the Hellenic Parliament, around 90% of current parliamentary seats belong or associated to political parties that have a clear pro-European and pro-Euro, pro-Euro area orientation. So in my opinion, what happened in mid-2015 was that people voted whether they would accept a proposed austerity plan. They didn't vote for leaving the euro. Okay, so so let's go to our politician and just ask how you assess the support for the European Union and the European project. We just heard from Despina a cry for getting out, and Grexit's the answer, and yet it seems, whatever the exact poll numbers are, most Greeks disagree with her. Yeah, I mean, Grexit is not on the cards now. This is a discussion that took place in 2015, but it's now over. It is true to say that the Greek population has a very strong pro-European sentiment. I remember when I used to commute between London and Athens in the 70s and the 80s, I was in two totally different cultural positions. In Britain, Euroscepticism. And then I would come here to Athens, and lots of people would tell me, if tomorrow the Greek capital were to move from Athens to Brussels, we would be so happy. So there is that aspect of great sort of European, Europhilia, you know, liking for Europe. And that has remained, you know, with its ups and its downs, because obviously this program that, you know, was mentioned earlier, the memoranda, the bailout, did impose, you know, quite catastrophic for the average Greek person uh, consequences. And obviously people have changed in relation to those uh, things when they hit their, their pocket. In a sense, the big question, I think, for Greece and for the European Union at the minute is that uh, the European Union is going through a huge existential crisis. Of course, Brexit was, in a sense, a symptom of that. And the big question, I think, for all of us is where is Europe heading towards? I mean, that is the key question, particularly after Britain leaving the European Union. Let's just bring in Helena here, because, again, you're sort of seeing this with with, uh, a different perspective. So we've just heard 
various opinions on Europe. How do you assess the opinions of most Greeks on the question of Europe now? Given that, the European politicians in Brussels... It's a European Union. Europe is not European Union, it's a geographical... Europe is a geographical unit. Okay, we're talking... We're referring to European Union, which is a political and economical union, not a geographical area. We cannot exit Europe. We cannot take our country and go somewhere else. Okay, so, so Helena, what, what would you say, you know, that there has been a big cost imposed by the European Union on Greece with all these uh, financial Huge issues? Cost. Uh, and yet, is it your observation that support, as Costa says, remains quite strong? No. Um, you know, austerity in the form of incredible budget cuts, pension cuts, tax increases, Greeks have been hammered by them. They really have, among all the degradations and indignities that they've suffered, with great fortitude, in my view, over the last seven years. This sort of austerity has spawned many monsters and one lurking monster, I think, is this sense of incredible disillusionment amongst Greeks in their souls that you feel in conversation even with very, very sophisticated Western-educated Greeks. This sense of we're being left to rot in this currency, we can't get out of it... And I would beg to differ with fellow panellists here because recent polls, one in particular, has shown a massive increase in the last year of anti-European sentiment by 15%. So whilst it may have waned, it's creeping back up again on the back of widespread disillusionment with a government, a leftist-led government that many had had so many hopes in. Okay, I'm just going to give uh, Platon uh, a last word on that. Do you detect this same growing despair, really, about the European Union and where it's left Greece? I agree that there is a huge disappointment. I think it has become clear, or is becoming more clear, that uh, Greece will need to reform itself. We cannot always blame or continue to blame our European creditors, or the IMF, or other countries. There is a collective responsibility. Greeks used to live above their means for a number of years. Uh, there has been a, a huge derailment heading into the global uh, financial crisis, and there has been a sudden stop. So I think that it is our own responsibility as citizens and as professionals to basically ensure that the country uh, introduces and implements the necessary reforms to become a normal market economy again. If you want to comment on the programme, newshour.extra at bbc.co.uk. You can tweet at bbcnhextra. This week we're in Athens looking at the economy here and the political situation as the country tries to cope with the huge debt mountain it faces all the while with an austerity programme going on. Each week we look at a different topic. It's for one hour, one hour of discussion on a single topic each week, and you can download it every Friday. Do subscribe to the BBC NewsHour Extra podcast, and if you enjoy BBC programmes, perhaps you could also try People Fixing the World. It's all about brilliant ideas aimed at making the world a better place. But now let's get back to NewsHour Extra, broadcast this week from Athens, a reminder of our panel, Kostas 
Duzinas Asiriza MP, Platon Monacrusos, Group Chief Economist at Eurobank, Despina Kutsumba, a leading member of the Public Sector Workers' Union here, and Helena Smith from the Guardian newspaper here for many years. Now, you were all gesticulating quite actively when uh, Platon was talking about his idea that I, th- I think it was the line that uh, you know Greece has to look after itself and it has to find its own solutions. Yeah. So, 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 well, Kostas, what, what do you yeah, say? To I that? mean, I think Platon was right that you know we do need reforms. The causes of the crisis with both external the bailout program and the impositions, so it's these prerequisites, the prior actions that we had to legislate and now to implement, but also there were quite a lot of domestic uh, malfunctioning. And here I have to say something again part of the, the, the tragedy of the situation that, you know, this radical left government has in the next two years and perhaps in the next six years to try to reform the Greek state. And the reform we need is precisely to try and change the kind of cronyism, the kind of corruption, that kind of system of intertwining between politicians, bankers and the media which ran the country for 40 years. And unless the radical left succeeds in doing that, there's no future for Greece. So we do need reforms, but the reforms in terms of public administration, in terms of tax evasion, tax avoidance, in terms of the change, what I call the change in the production model, a productive reconstruction of Greece towards a knowledge economy, is absolutely central, and only the left can do that, because the others were tested for 40 years, and they created the mess in which we find ourselves in today. So you're saying not just cuts... But d- deeper reform. But the point is, you've had a couple of years and you haven't done it. That is not true. I mean, let me mention a couple of things. Two and a half million people were allowed to enter the health service. When they were uninsured. They didn't have any type of health insurance, and they were now they are now free to go to hospitals and clinics. Yeah, yeah, and so but what about the cronyism you're talking about? I mean, has that been dealt with? There are three currently three committees of inquiry in Parliament, right next to us, which are looking into corruption in arms procurement in the health area, pharma, big pharma, and what was happening there, and in a number of areas, including the parties, the media, and so on. So we have to deliver that. Are you convinced, Espina? No, of course not. First of all, it's not, it's, it's a, the program is, we have three bailout programs, but it's one. It proposes the same thing since 2010. So we don't even have a difference in like, governments, in governing. Of course, we had the change with Syriza government, but after the Memorandum 3 they voted in the summer of 2015, we just continue all the, me- the measurements, cuts, etc., etc., of the uh, bailout you agree that we are better, I mean, than the previous lot? Unfortunately not. Uh, unfortunately. Uh, I, uh, unfortunately. You're not prepared to un- say something that you, you, you certainly agree no, with. No, no, no. I can, I, can, I can agree with you that uh, you gave the insurance to people that had it before and then had lost it in the bailout program, but what we were voted for is give them jobs so that they have the insurance because they have a job. It's different. People didn't vote, Syriza, for, I don't know, giving the homeless something to eat. They voted for Syriza because they were... Did we they stop were... the humanitarian crisis? I mean, did we You give cannot stop all... the humanitarian crisis when you cut pensions and salaries and make people homeless. But I wanted to say something else. See what Mr. Monocruso said before. What led us to to the crisis? The growth in Greece, it was not productive, blah, 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 blah. What the program from 2010 imposes to Greece for growth? Casino, 
big uh, hotels and privatization of every public good or every public property. Uh, ports, uh, airports, etc., etc., etc. So in every country that IMF went, it's the same thing. Privatize everything, give the, the good resources, and here good resources for Greece is the sun, the sea, the archaeological places, etc., etc., and make people work for 2,000 euros per month or 3,000 euros per month, and then say, okay, we have growth. Helena, you were trying to come in earlier. What did you want to say? Well, the, the programme has been very front-loaded for Syriza in its two years in power. And, and we should add here, Tsipras, Alexis Tsipras, the Greek Prime Minister, though his personal ratings have plummeted and those of Syriza have tanked as well, he is now the longest-serving Prime Minister in crisis Greece as of July. He has pulled off that feat by hook or by crook. But going to Platon's point about embracing reforms, ownership of reforms, and this is a point that has long been made by Greece's foreign lenders, that Greece has to sort of feel that it owns these reforms. That is growing, that sentiment here. I have in recent weeks around this latest drama regarding uh, disbursement of funds and Greece avoiding bankruptcy heard more and more Greeks praising the German finance minister Wolfgang Schäuble and not blaming everything on Wolfgang Schäuble. And of course, Angela Merkel has gone from being demon to angel under Syriza. So that has changed as well. A bit of an exaggeration again. It is a bit of an exaggeration. You know, there's no doubt that, you know, we had this agreement last week. And of course, you know, Schäuble and Merkel were involved in this. But let us put it into perspective. When in 2015 Syriza and Cyprus were elected, that kind of position against neoliberalism, against this dogma, was passing in in the summit meetings as something which was sacrosanct. Nobody was saying anything against it. And then this small country, this small people, this small party and government stood up and said, this is wrong. And it seems to me between 2015 and today, the general opinion all over Europe, but particularly in the South, has started changing. So maybe you've changed the debate, you're saying. That's interesting. OK, so, so I do want to talk just about this situation only last week when there was this uh, bailout. And I think Despina is saying it's more of the same, really. But nonetheless, it was a moment when the outside creditors were sort of extending Greeks' loans and uh, uh, avoiding a, a crunch point. So, Platon, can you help us with this? I mean, as I understand it, Greece will not be able to repay its foreign debts unless it keeps a 2% budget surplus until 2060. I mean, it just sounds totally unrealistic. I mean, yes, uh, but uh, one should not forget that uh, the latest agreement actually uh, envisages an improvement relative to the previous regime and uh, the initial program that actually envisages a a 10-year period of a 3.5% primary surplus after the expiration of the current program, and then a gradual descent of the fiscal targets toward that level, 2%. Overall, I think that uh, the agreement uh, was not uh, the best possible one. Uh, There was not a holistic agreement. Last week's agreement. Last week's agreement. However, the statement, the formal statement, contains some, let's say, sweeteners, some positive things for Greece, but also a commitment by official creditors 
to assist Greece in reapproaching financial markets before the expiration of the uh, and help okay. with growth strategy and growth strategy. Okay, can I just sort of decode this? Are you saying that you were disappointed that the package last week didn't include anything on forgiving debt? And what I'm saying is that the agreement reached contains some positive, if you like, things about you know the required clarity for the period. For, for, for the next couple of months before we reach that point and there is a more holistic, let's say, solution to the uh, debt problem. Right. I guess what I'm trying to ask you is, is there any solution to your quandary here, your, your economic state, which does not include debt being written off? I mean... No. 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 It has, to, it, it has to be written off. I, written off. I mean, you know, there may be all kinds of different ways through which, you know, sort of you, you ease the burden on Greece. You call it something else. Yeah, restructuring, extension of the tenure of, of the term, and so on. And of course, haircut. I mean, there is a number of different things. But I should also add something which I think very important because it shows the total failure of that dominant economic project. When Greece entered the bailout program in 2010 the ratio of debt to GDP was 120%. After the huge, the huge hemorrhaging of the Greek economy and Greek people, in 2015, when Caesar took over, it was up to 180%. Yeah. yeah, but they continue with this agreement. They continue the same thing. What the program says is you have a, a huge public debt, so you will have a more huge public debt because we will loan you And this is how you will get out of the crisis. Of course, it's nonsense. Helena. Well, Greece is Europe's problem, and Greece is going to remain Europe's problem, and specifically Berlin's problem uh, for the foreseeable future. It is up to Berlin to decide, because Berlin, Germany, has been the biggest contributor to the three bailouts that Greece has received since 2010 to decide that it wants to speak the truth to its own constituency, the German electorate. That can only be done after the, next, uh, the federal elections in September in Germany, which the German Chancellor Angela uh, Merkel is on track to win. And she has to turn to Germans, to the German electorate, and say, in order for the Eurozone's weakest link, Greece, to recover. We need to write off some of these debts. We need to invest in Greece to increase growth. I, what I'd like to ask you, since you, I think, all agree that there should be some debt write-off, what percentage of Greece's debt needs to be written off? Let's go to Platon as the banker first, and I'll go around everyone. Yes, I mean, an outright, let's say, forgiveness in terms of writing off is out of the table. And the current framework envisages no outright forgiveness. And I think that this is something that has been understood by all sides. But it doesn't matter. The current framework could potentially extend maturities, defer interest and principal payments, and result to something that is equivalent to outright forgiveness okay, in MDV terms. Okay, so if, the, the, if it's an equivalent. The idea, the idea here is to keep the annual servicing cost of debt below a certain limit. And that's basically what the current framework that has been decided at the Eurogroup of May uh, 2016 envisages. Greece is going to need quite substantial relief in terms of a very extended maturities 
of European loans by a very long period of time. Platon, I guess what I'm trying to do, and I will ask everyone the same question, so I'm being fair about this. I mean, however it's dressed up, I think it would help people internationally to know what sort of numbers you're talking about, whether it's rescheduling or putting off or putting a cap on payments or whatever else. What sort of numbers are you talking about, in either hard billions or percentages, of what sort of relief Greece needs? Forgiveness, haircut, whatever the words... First of all, this is not going to happen overnight. This is going to happen over an extended period of time. The current framework, the current baseline scenario of the European Commission, if you like, and the European institutions, envisage a reduction of the debt ratio, the debt-to-GDP ratio, from current levels, close to 180%, towards something close to 100, 120% by the year 2060. But 2060? 2060. I would like to mention here that there are countries for instance, Japan, that have even higher debt-to-GDP ratios okay, than Greece. So the idea here is to basically make the servicing of this debt burden, let's say, manageable for the state over a very significant period of time. Okay, that's helpful. Costas. Well, just a minute, because we keep talking economics and we keep talking figures, that is fully understandable. But this is also a political problem, and I want to bring in the politics here. One of the reasons that Greece has been punished so severely, mainly by the Germans, has been the fact that you have a left government in Athens. The first time in a Western European country that the left government was elected with a good majority. And there is this story in Greece called the story of the left interval, that, you know, we're going to allow them to get into government since they were elected, and they were going to make their lives so difficult so that at the end, when they are either fully humiliated, as Despino here claims, or they collapse, the whole of Europe would know that the left is finished. And this is you know, the big stake here, because this government got four big mandates, three electoral mandates and the referendum, and therefore quite... Important issues about European democracy are being played out. And Greece is being a kind of, if it's an ayer, a kind of a sacrificial victim so that the Italians and the Spaniards and the Portuguese realize that you cannot actually do what every economy has always done. You know, since the, you know, the Old Testament and the Jubilee, which is a writing off of death. I'm, I'm going to allow you this, that you don't think it'll happen until there's a right-wing government here, but then how much debt has to be written off? What's your number? First of all, you know, I should add to what Platon was saying, that since we're talking about the ratio, you can reduce the ratio either by forgiveness, as you call it, of debt, or by growth of the economy, growth of the GDP. That, again, would reduce the ratio. Taken down to 120%, I think 60 or 70% would be, you know, sort of more, uh, I think, you know, sort of better for, better for the country so that you have some money to, you know, to give to a social projects. So, therefore, it is not just forgiveness of debt, you know, it is also about growing the economy so that the ratio, you know, sort of becomes more manageable. And these are the big tasks for this government. About the debt now, I would answer like this. What Germany got in the 1953? The London Agreement, yeah. the, la- the 1953 London Why Agreement. Why not? And I would say something more. So it included a haircut of half of the debt that had been accrued during the war, plus a growth clause, uh, under which 
the repayment of the rest of the debt would follow the growth of the economy, and there would be a moratorium for the period that the economy was in recession. And this was what helped Germany to create the German miracle of the And now we have to, to bring politics here, because the reason for that was that they wanted West Germany against the Soviet Union. But they That's don't why want so Greece it's because poli- Greece is left. What I wanted to say is <laughs> that it's not uh, it's not economy, it's politics. Of course. That's it. Okay, Helena. And Greece back in 1953 was a signatory to the London Agreement. So signed up despite the fact that Greece had suffered uh, very harshly during the Third Reich under German occupation. It suffered perhaps almost more than any other European country. And no reparations have been paid yet, which is a key aspect of But can I just also this? say, uh, in answer to, um, you know, to what, to what extent should Greek debt be cut to be made viable, sustainable, manageable, whatever word you want to call it, Many are saying even if it were made, rendered sustainable by debt forgiveness, relief, whatever you want to call it, Greece might once again accrue very fast those debt levels if it isn't modernised. That's a word we have not used or I've not heard on this panel in the last hour, modernisation. And in order for Greece to be modernised, it needs to be reformed in its public administration and its institutions, its institutions, particularly its legal institution, as I'm sure Costas would agree, are particularly weak. And with such weak institutions, you can't get that growth or at least sustain the growth that would keep the debt at bay. It's very interesting hearing our Syriza MP saying he thinks basically a left-wing government's being punished here, and I think Despina would uh, sympathise with that. Do, do you see that? I mean, and what are the prospects for the left? You say they've sustained power for longer than many people would have expected. How is that going to go forward? The, the programme was, as I said earlier, very front-loaded, and uh, the Syriza government under Tsipras was compelled uh, by sleight of hand to pass extremely unpopular measures, it should be added that the sort of measures that have been legislated in the big sandstone building behind us... The Parliament. ..could not have been passed or endorsed by any other government without there being massive riots on the streets. Only a leftist government could do it. Only a leftist government has been able to really quell, keep the lid on the pot... Uh, Despina, I'm going to ask you to, because you want to come in, uh, can I ask you to to do it in a form of answering this question? We quite often end this programme trying to look ahead. And uh, it's particularly difficult here, I suspect. So let's do it on quite a limited period. Let's say 10 years. (laughs) Where is this going to be in 10 years? I can tell you what I I would want. People to go on the streets, take the economy and the society on their hands, get rid of uh, the politicians of the memorandums, even if they say they are leftists or uh, right, get out of the Eurozone and the European Union for building another society and economy for the majority of the people and not for the minority of the rich. Because in this crisis, in Greece and globally, what really happens is that rich people become are becoming richer and Middle class disappeared and poor people are becoming poorer. I was speaking with Hublot, the Swiss company of the very, very, very expensive clocks. They have increased their clients all over the world. What does this mean in this crisis? You understand? I do. Uh, uh, Platon, what's your take? A decade ahead, please. I tend to be optimistic. First of all, because I believe that 
Following the German elections, European politicians, Euro-area politicians will take new initiatives to strengthen the architecture of the Euro. The Euro is a work in progress. And secondly, because the worst is behind as regards uh, Greece, a lot of reforms have already been implemented. The big question is whether Greece can attract huge volumes of foreign investment. Domestic savings is not adequate to finance the kind of growth we need in terms of investment activity. The, the reforms that have been implemented over the last several years can create a base for the country to start growing again and shift, move towards a more sustainable growth paradigm, a more sustainable growth model. Back. Costas to Zinas, will you, still be, will you still be in Parliament in 10 years' time? Uh, I was an accidental politician, as is the title of my book, and therefore that remains to be seen, perhaps not. Uh, so we have to answer the two levels, the domestic and the European international. At the domestic level, I think we did say public administration, the you know, dealing with uh, tax evasion, dealing with corruption, uh, dealing with that kind of crony economy that we had over the last 40 years is absolutely central. Of course, the rule of law is crucial. So in a kind of, again, contradictory way, a left government is asked not just to modernize, to introduce basic understandings about how institutions run that we have from all over the place and, of course, from Britain. And this is extremely important. However, there is also the European aspect. And for me, the European aspect, you know, in March we had the 60th birthday of the European Union. The leaders went to Rome and they had a big uh, gala party there and the rest of it. And that birthday party, of course, was overshadowed by a funeral and a divorce. Divorce was Brexit and the funeral. You remember the film, the four weddings and the funeral? The funeral was the end of what was the mantra of Europe and the Eurocrats, ever closer union. That was finished. If Schäuble, who is the greatest of the federalist European politicians, has abandoned it. Now he's talking about uh, different speeds and different uh, circles and so on. That is finished. And unless we have major changes in the architecture of the European Union, two major issues, the distribution of power, Uh, amongst the institutions of the European Union, even more important, therefore, greater democratization and changing the Euro Parliament from a talking shop to a proper parliament. And secondly, a different distribution of resource between Brussels and the member states, particularly at the local level, local administration, regional planning and so on. We have a big task uh, ahead of us. And I would end, uh, like Platon, that I'm an optimist, but an optimist, as Walter Benjamin would put it, uh, you know, that those who do not have much hope, they have to be optimistic. You know, hope was created for them. And it is one of these big struggles we have ahead of us uh, here in Greece, particularly Parliament, you know, the government, and so on, to really fight for a different Europe and for a different Greece. If we fail, I think the future would be highly problematic. Helena, I didn't pin you down on how many years you'd been here, but maybe you'll be reporting here still in a decade? Perhaps, perhaps. uh, I take a rather... I see Greece's decade-long prospects uh, a bit like a curate's egg. There's good and bad. I'm positive in the sense that young Greeks, indeed a lot of Greek society, has acknowledged the rot that existed 
post-1974 in what has amounted to the longest period of peace and democracy in this country in recent times. And they've realised that they need, as all the panellists have said, need to reform, they need to change things. Young people have accepted that cronyism doesn't work, that corruption is no longer a necessary evil, etc., etc. But I also worry more generally about Greece and its prospects in terms of population and demographic pressures, which all of southern Europe is suffering, but Greece, as the weakest economy, is suffering more than any other. It's not only the brain drain, fertile young Greeks leaving this country for the prosperous north, it's that Greeks who are staying, who are not fleeing, are taking a very uh, rational decision not to have children, and that will impact on productivity and growth and so on and so forth. So Greece's prospect long-term looks quite bleak. When you have such a huge demographic problem, as you have, uh, I think, pointed out, there are two solutions. One is to increase the birth rates. This is unlikely to happen. The second is to bring in the immigrants. And this is the huge question that we have to tackle. And in order to tackle that, we have to start, I think, attacking that kind of of low-level not racism necessarily, but xenophobia, this ignorance of the other that exists within society and which has to be attacked, and of course the neo-Nazi party that represents it you know, and so on, in order precisely to create that kind of situation in which immigrants can come in. Okay, you, you've raised a big theme at the end, which is uh, uh, we're, we're, we're going to have to just draw, draw an end to it because that, we've reached the end of our hour. But it's actually a fascinating discussion. And thank you very much, Kostas Duzinas, Platon Monacrusos, Despina Kostuma, and Helena Smith. Uh, if you want to get in touch, newsad.extra at bbc.co.uk. Tweet at BBCNHExtra. Do get the podcast, the BBC News Hour Extra podcast. Put it in your search engine and do the appropriate things, and it will come to your machine uh, effortlessly. And that's it from Athens. So thank you very much for listening. And from Owen Bennett-Jones, goodbye. <laughs>